When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the latest in our Away From Home series where we talk to players, managers, coaches, anybody in the world of football who's decided to leave home and seek pastures new to play the beautiful game. This week we are joined, it's been a long time in the running, um, but we are joined by, I'm not sure, do we go Paco, Paco Gigi Craig, what do you go by mate? Oh, I mean Paco is cool, but any, any variation is cool as well, but Paco. Let's go with Paco. Well, very thanks for coming on to the show, man. Coming all the way from Miami. Um, it's looking. Is it warm over there? I imagine it's pretty warm, right? Uh, yeah, honestly, the winter time it gets it gets down to about maybe twenty five degrees Celsius. <laughs> Stuff is still shining. So, okay. I mean, like I've I've done you the honor of putting some clothes on. Usually, I'm not even wearing anything. So <laughs> we appreciate it. We appreciate it. It does have to go on YouTube. We don't want to get cancelled just yet. Um, but you are in your off season at the moment. Um, so. A bit of free time kicking about. How did the last season go for you? Was it a successful season? How do you feel about it? Well, without obviously, I'm still a bit emotional, like hurt, you know, processing it. But without getting too deep into it, mm-hmm. it wasn't as uh, successful as I'd like to be professionally speaking. It was very challenging uh, for many reasons. But um, honestly, all in all, it didn't go quite as well as I wanted it to. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's through our own fault, or also through things we can't control. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, you know, sometimes those things happen. I've been able to have a fairly successful career over here before this. So, you know, everything has to balance out eventually, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, now you do have a bit of time to yourself. So thankfully, we're able to sit and chat. And in our uh, interviews, we always start at the beginning. We think it makes sense. So how did you find yourself getting interested in football? Was there a person in your life that kind of encouraged you to get into football? Um, and was it something you started from an early age? Yeah, I definitely was, I was keen on it from a young age, but never too seriously. Um, my biggest influence has to be my dad, mm-hmm. um, mostly because he, he himself like was very into it growing up and like he was a very present around dad, supportive in the sense that, you know, he, he likes the idea of his kids playing. But also I think as well as, as along with friends and, and like the culture of 
the idea of football being something that's valued within our culture. So being good at it kind of gives you a good feeling, basically, mm -hmm. when you're growing up as a kid. I think also just the fact I found out I was fairly good at it naturally. I wasn't the best, you know, I wasn't necessarily like the most skillful, but I was, I could get better at it quicker than maybe my friends when I was seven, eight, nine years old. And, and naturally, when you find you're good at something, you you, you get drawn towards it. And, mm -hmm. and so my dad sort of fueled that and supported me after that. Nice. nice. Well, to be honest, he, all the way growing up playing football, I was very, very, very average. So I can only imagine how good to be good at it. it must be it must be nice. But did you play for teams when you were growing up then? Did you start in academies or? Yeah, so um, it took a while to take it seriously. It was more a school thing, like growing up. Uh, little tournaments, little like half term, you'd do a football camp and like I'd find that I'd be like winning little medals from like that sort of stuff. But um, around 10 years old, I was playing uh, for, I got selected for the district team, as you do nice. in England, uh, in, it's very regional. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I was actually for the year above me in the district team. So that was like a good sign to me that maybe I was better than most. Uh, then obviously from district, I went to county whilst playing for my secondary school. Um, so I was like, okay, county is a, a fairly big deal as well. Um, but then it was it was after I was after year nine, I think. In year nine, I uh, my school won the national cup. So oh, we wow, actually, nice. yeah, we actually went all the way and was like the best public school in in England for football, uh, which was huge. And after that is when I got an opportunity to first trial with Tottenham. Mm -hmm. um, I went on a six week trial with Tottenham when I was thirteen. And uh, by the end of it, they, you know, my team, the players thought I was good enough, but the team didn't pick me for one reason okay. or another. No problem. Uh, and then I was a bit distraught for a while, but a friend of mine from, from playing in high level in county and doing so well, who was at West Ham, asked West Ham for me to go join him. Nice. So I went to West Ham at under 14s level for a trial. But thankfully that one only lasted, lasted about a couple of weeks. Uh, until they, they and then they offered me a, a spot in the West Ham Academy at the under 14s level and then from then on yeah I went from West Ham 14s to the 16s uh, and then all the way up to under 18s as well but I didn't quite get a professional contract from nice well West Ham is kind of uh, as an Arsenal fan I think you made the right I think you made a lucky escape getting away from Spurs but um, with with West Ham, it's obviously one of the most kind of famous academies within the UK, like created a lot of great players come, come through that system. How was it to be trained there? Um, and was it like, was it a big step up when you when you got there? Did it feel like the kind of big time? Um, this is the funny thing with me. Like this is, a, it's quite a unique uh, experience for me. It definitely was top level. Like the experience was amazing. And I'm very grateful because it gave me my education in football. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you kind of you take for granted how well you're treated at a top academy when you're a kid, but the the sessions were proper, the coaching was proper, like the, the facilities are all professional. You've got you got top professionals walking around uh, the 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 change rooms and the cafeteria and that. So like the environment itself was definitely high high uh, high level, and there was a lot of pressure to be perfect. Mm -hmm. um, but I owe all my abilities and all my, especially as a centre-back, the fact that I'm more of a, play, a football player, I'm comfortable more on the ball than, than the average centre-back. Um, I owe all of that to West Ham. But I have to say, um, without like sounding 
smug or, 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 or boasting too much. I, like, I had a, a father who's a, who's an 80s rock star. He's a very famous musician. Yeah. And, uh, and so my whole life growing up, like, I was never bothered by, by uh, idolizing individuals because mm-hmm. I'd had, my whole life I had people coming to my dad and sort of, you know, stopping him in the, in the supermarket yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So in my mind, it was, it was always a weird thing for me to, to view from this side. So whenever I was in, in, for example, even in West Ham, like I, I think it was missed on me a bit how much of a famous place it is and what's mm. happened there. Purely because I had this experience of not necessarily being bothered about fame or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. celebrity or, or like legends because yeah, yeah. everyone seemed normal to me. If my dad's supposed to be a legend, but he was a very humble, normal mm. and loving dad to me then I thought everyone was equal, you know? So walking into West Ham, like, I I owe it everything, but I think I took it for granted how sacred of a place it is. Well, we do need to say for listeners, so your dad was in the Culture Club, right? He was the bassist of Culture Club. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which is incredible, by the way. But so was music ever an option for you as well? Was that ever a passion? Yeah, so football, like, I was a very odd, not odd kid, but I had the blessing of being given so many, like, avenues and passions to pursue okay. that I wasn't that English kid who had you know posters of Beckham all over his wall mm-hmm. and just dreamed of football like I was someone who actually preferably like whilst at West Ham I was playing the drums in a band as well myself wow, okay nice and uh with my brother who's an excellent musician and still is to this day we were writing music and playing gigs whilst I was like going to training oh, wow. at West Ham okay, and, nice. and playing matches for West Ham so in my mind I loved football and I really enjoyed it but I had so many other passions, including music, that mm-hmm. it was I was kind of split. And that's not a good... I think in reflection, it didn't help me pick one and focus okay. on it. But I was very open to, for example, playing music mm-hmm. as my career. Like, that's something I, I think to this day, I have a hole missing in me because I don't perform music. Really. Okay, wow. Write music, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but do you think... So you said there that you think maybe it, it, it shifted your focus away from football at times. But do you think it also might help you keep it in perspective at times as well, that you, it's not the only, because I feel like some, some people, including myself at times, football is the only thing that really matters and it dictates my mood too much, the girlfriend would say. Do you think having other passions in your life at least helps keep it in perspective at times? Um, y- yes, I know. I think I'm able to balance it better now as I'm a more like realized individual. So definitely it allowed me to uh, to have more of a personality, more of a character. Mm. I was more rounded, as you say, so that I was a bit more able to to maybe get a better experience of life as a whole. But is, as a kid growing up, I think it would have paid for me to uh, to be way more, like even like mental visualization stuff. I'm big on the spiritual aspect of life, mm-hmm. and I do believe in in uh, in manifesting through visualization in a sense. And so I do think my focus, if it was more solely centered around football, I could have perhaps mm-hmm. propelled myself further in that industry. Whereas mm-hmm. maybe the, 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 the drawback of that would have been that it would have dictated everything about my identity, mm-hmm. which isn't a good thing. So mm-hmm. there is the give and take, but I think now I'm better able to manage it because I'm more grown up about it, but it perhaps hindered me a bit, especially at West Ham where... They were very, I felt, I could feel it. They were very, very proud of their identity. Mm. And like, there were coaches who were mentoring me who were like old legends. Like, I'll say a few names. Obviously, Tony mm. Carr was the under-18s oh, wow. coach, who's an absolute legend in the English yeah, yeah, game. Yeah. 
but unfortunately I wasn't, I didn't really like hit me who he was, you know, I was mm. just like, oh, this is, and if he was shouting at me or if my experience with him was more, all right, you're just another guy. You have to, let's have a relationship together and work on something mm -hmm. as opposed to the others who knew how to act around these sort of like mm. caliber of, of people. So, yeah. So, um, so I think it is better for me in life, but it might have helped me back in football, basically. As a okay. Kid. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's, it's a more rounded person is probably better, I imagine. Um, but if we focus on West Ham, what were the main things or who were the biggest influences on your career there within West Ham? You said Tony Carr then, but who were the people that kind of, and what were the lessons they taught you? Um, so the main ones would be, I think the first, the, I hope no one else gets offended, but the main ones would be Tony Carr as an 18s coach because obviously he's he's had the you know he's molded a lot of talent through and he's the one that you have to get through to hit the first team. Mm -hmm. um, but he, he's a very he was he was he was very good at what he did. He knew what he was doing. I think before that too, the very first one was Paul Heffer, who was also okay. a full, uh, you know a top pro. But you know back in the day, George Best era, he used to tell us stories about George Best all the time. And he was a very good father figure and made you feel cool, welcome. I used to do a lot of video analysis with him. Nice. Um, so I'll, he, he helped me. He helped me. He was the one who made me feel most comfortable. And then my mm -hmm. under-16s coach was Paul Hilton, who okay. was an open centre-back type player. He played pro as well years before. I, obviously, at the time, I didn't know who these people were as a kid. But he played pro um, many years ago. And he's a northern tough guy. And... and to be fair to him, he was the most harshest on me because he was a centre back. Okay. He would he would he would get at me twenty four seven like nonstop to the point where I was like so mad and so wound up that I have to prove to this guy I can do it, you know. And so he got a lot out of me individually, you know, one on one. Um, I mean, I used to basically like for one example, I used to I'm good at in the air. I'm a good header of the okay. ball. Says that. But what, during, apparently during his time period, I would always turn my head and like close my eyes and sort of flick my head at the ball. And he, he, was, he would get onto me so much. As a young kid, he was verbally very aggressive. Verbally. Okay. <laughs> Old school. Old yeah. School. He, like, <laughs> like, without, I'm not saying it, it bothered me, but, you know, old English coaches, like, they didn't care. They were swearing, effing and blinded, mm -hmm. and you're a 16-year-old boy. And uh, to the point where, like, I was like, oh, to show him, I would start heading my head straight through the ball. And now, like, my head game is, is fantastic. Mm -hmm. and, and, like, he used to shout my name so much that one time I was on the bench during a game. Something happened and he screamed my name. He screamed my name and I was like, Paul, I'm right here on the bench. <laughs> like, you don't need, don't worry. Like, it's not me this time, you know. But, um, but without him, I wouldn't have been where I am too. So those mm -hmm. three definitely helped me a lot. Um and uh, yeah, in terms of coaches. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very nice. And so w once you kind of, your journey ends at West Ham and you find yourself in the non-league in the UK um, and you sign for Bishop Stortford, you make a few, a few appearances for them, but then quite quickly you moved on to the, to the US. How did you find playing in the non-league in the UK? I think it's a bit of a learning curve and especially coming out of an academy straight into like, grown men's football like yeah. how much of a learning curve was that it was it was a huge learning curve but um the problem is obviously there's no mentor there to sort of talk you through mm. it so there were many aspects of it that I took took in my in full swing and was happy to do it like I was always a fairly physical guy anyway so aspects of the game itself I was comfortable with 
even though you know I had coaches being like, "Don't," as a centre back, they're like, "We're not doing any of that playing out stuff, right? Don't don't fanny around with it or anything." You know what I mean? Like, get rid of get it. Get rid of it. Yeah, yeah, just <laughs> it's solid. Like, don't don't muck about. Um, but because of my qualities, I was often played in in holding midfield as well, which was nice. So oh, okay, I nice. Experience as a midfielder a bit in the non-league level and was able to to you know stretch my legs a little bit in in that space. Um, but to tell you the truth, there's, there's as a as a silver spoon academy boy, you know, mm-hmm. where you're used to trainings every twice a day, like mm-hmm. crisp pitches, like gate style of play. It was not, it, it hits you really like a train because mm-hmm. even before that, psychologically, when you get released as a kid, like, like you said, and, and most, of, and you still think that's your identity. Mm-hmm. You're completely lost. You feel like you're floating in, in the space and you've got no, nothing to grab hold of. And so I actually was able to try and get to a championship team, funnily enough, Sheffield United, went up to Sheffield, nice. spent 10 days with them, played a, a reserve game. We won like 1-0. It was a great game. They sit me down. They say, look, like you've shown you're good enough to play with us, like, but we've been developing a young boy already that we're going to bring through and we don't have space for two young boys. You know, mm-hmm. we want to just have one. That young boy turned out to be Harry Maguire. So okay, like, wow, right. Nice. Like, yeah, yeah. Play, you know, in hindsight, all right, you made a good choice, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, and then I went to um, I went to a few other, I went to Stevenage, and they, I think they were League Two at the time. Mm-hmm. And they said, you're good and that, but we need to bring you in preseason. And as a kid here in a League Two team, say, like, you need to come into preseason in eight weeks' time. Like, it really didn't rub me right, unfortunately. My mental was okay. off. Then another quick one, sorry to go into all of this. No, 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 don't worry. I went to um, Gillingham in League Two. I went to Gillingham, spent a week with them, first team, played really well. Like, again, like, it is what it is, but it's not too far outside of London. I'm driving myself like an hour and a half there to go mm-hmm. train. Uh, big, uh, big, um, Akin Fenwa was there. Nice. And so he was like, there were some nice characters in the locker room, you know, good vibe. I was like, all right. They were sixth or seventh in the league at the time. I'm thinking maybe they hit playoffs, they get into League One. Um, so do great there. We played a reserve team game against, uh, uh, it was uh, that, not Dover, but it's that that pilgrimage you go to out there. in uh, not. You know what? You know, like there's a cathedral out there. Oh, Oh God, my UK, my UK geography is terrible. Sorry. Honestly, we played we played a low local t- a low level team. Okay, slapped them six 0 I scored what a header from a corner. I'm like, this is perfect. As a young kid, you know what more can I do? The coach and the assistant bring me in and say, look, your your quality, but the season's ending now. So like preseason, we'll bring you in, and uh, we'll 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 put something together to sign you. But we have to wait till preseason. I'm like, all right, sounds good. A few weeks went on, didn't hear anything from them. Find out myself from the papers and the news that they both got fired by the club. <sighs> so, like, they're gone. And uh, so I'm like, okay, great. So, like, so after four or five of these knocks, I'm like, I'm playing with my local, uh, locals, old, old boys team from okay. like school players. And from there, a guy was like, come play at, at Bishop Stortford because mm-hmm. he was like, you know, we can do something for you in the conference. It was actually Conference North, unfortunately, because yeah, yeah, yeah. because they are uh, they had um a team dropped out and they were like the next team to move up into the Conference North. But I was like, look, like I I'll do it. I'm I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. But bro, when you go there, 
the toughest thing as a young kid who was expecting to play in the Premier League is that three or four of the players genuinely have aspirations to move up. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the team have this feeling of like, this is where we are. This is, we're stuck here. Or some of them are working other jobs. Yeah. And you're only training twice a week in the nighttime and not everyone's showing up. Mm-hmm. And you're like, as a young kid, you're thinking like, is, is this, is this it? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Is this it? So aspects of the game, I, I enjoyed learning because it was growing me up as a man and maturing, but the overall experience and, and feeling was like quite scary in terms mm-hmm. of I get a bad injury here. They're not going to look after me well, first of all. Yeah. Yeah, I've got yeah, no yeah. education. A lot of players here are joking like, you know, mate, everyone says they're going to get out in a year or two, but you're stuck here. And like, they're just yeah. joking about it. And, and that was scary as a kid. Well, it must be it must be hard to keep motivation there and self belief as well because, as you said, there'll be a lot of players that came into that changing room feeling how you felt, and then after a couple of years, they just suddenly change and they find themselves accepting that that's where they are. Like, how do you, or how did you maintain that motivation? That thing of like, okay, this isn't what I want. I appreciate this what it is. I'm playing the game I love. Like, but you still, as you said as well, training twice a week. You have to do a lot of work privately on your own right to maintain fitness as well yeah absolutely you should be should definitely be if you want to be serious about it Mm -hmm. um ultimately for me it's like i got i enjoyed the experience of the year but because i was sort of you know lining up other moves or or doing something different i had an okay mindset about it but if i was to spend two three years in it i'm not sure how i would have reacted i think Mm -hmm. ideally i'd like to think i would see those one or two guys that get out and uh and take strength from that but you just it's, it's just such an unknown about what could happen that i mean i wouldn't have known one year was all right though so the season i spent there was good and and, and the good thing was we turned it around halfway through the year and start making a push to like winning again and like that always helps you know as soon mm-hmm. as you have a positive environment and you feel good about it you don't mind coming into work you know mm-hmm Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. You need to you need to have a bit of positivity. Uh, but do you think as well with the before we move on to like your move to the U, to the US, do you think that like when when kids are released because you are kids, right, seventeen, eighteen years old, when when they're released, should there be more done to help you adjust to that change and kind of maybe even before like helping prepare kids that maybe you won't be here much longer, but we can help you kind of adjust before you find yourself in part time football. Yeah, I've spent, obviously, being one of the kids, I've spent a lot of time reflecting on that um, Mm -hmm. over my years and and hopefully in post-playing if I'm a coach or involved in an academy. And and it's a really tough one. It's a really tough one because you can't really, you can't expect every single child to get hands-on, like, development work or mentorship Mm -hmm. because there's only so many coaches. There's, There's thousands and thousands of kids. So I agree, yes, there definitely should be, Two things I'm thinking that should happen, at least, that should become a bit better in, in English Academy. And one is overall, overall focus on creating better human beings, not okay. like better footballers. Mm-hmm. So boys who can have the tools necessary to, to hopefully mature into men and to deal with life, you know? Yeah. So that might be on a philosophical or spiritual sense. So it's not something English coaches, especially like 20 years ago when I was a kid yeah. or before, are thinking about they've never had an experience of that but if academies could have a bit more of a wholesome uh development to the to the plan to the to the to what they do it hopefully kids would be just in a better place to deal with bad scenarios you know yeah um but second to that 
I do think, yeah, they should be a bit more involved in if they if they let a kid go, they should have a bit more involvement in what happens to them with with regards to they have a, a massive network, surely. And so they can perhaps reach out more, do a bit more. I was mm. they they a lot of stuff was said to me, like when Rostam released me, they did say things like, Look, if you need anything, let us know, or this and that. And like the words were good. But as a kid, you don't even feel like reaching out, you know, no, and they no, should no. sort of sense that. And have something lined up already, like, look, like we're not going to take you, but this club is interested and they want to do something. I mean, a little bit more of those sort of things would be good. They did mention throughout my scholarship, they did mention, um, you know, be ready because only like, you know, X amount of players really do get a pro. So they warn you about it, but they don't really set you up for it. Yeah. And, uh, and it's not an easy thing. I've tried to contemplate it myself and it's something that has shaped what I want my future to look like in terms of when I'm done playing, I would love to be part of an elite academy. Nice. Um, but with more direction and, uh, and focus on developing good human beings or, mm. or kids that have the tools necessary mm. to, uh, to help them navigate whatever happens, you know, because yeah. even growing up and becoming super famous and getting paid millions as an 18 year old is just as destabilizing. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I do think English academies should work better now. But the problem is, there's just too many old schools still holding on mm. to it. You know, like mm. many things, like all the old old people, they're very set in their ways, and they're the ones that have the most control. And the network is still old, so it's going to take de- generations. I would yeah. think. Well, like I work as a teacher, and we're trying now to implement more kind of holistic education, and yeah. not just education go. in the classroom. It's more kind of like yeah, being a good citizen, understanding yourself, mental health, stuff like that. And I think it's something that's definitely like over the last five years has been a bit more of a push. But there's definitely a long way to go yet. Like, but yeah. I think as long as people are aware of it and people want to do it, then we'll be able to continue doing it. I hope. Yeah. But I think within football, especially some of the stories that you hear and I know football only reflects wider society right but yeah you need we need to be raising better people I think you're yeah. right just just better people um but you do get an opportunity in the US and you go to Young Harris College yeah. right yeah. so how did this how did this it's a scholarship right how did this opportunity come around so obviously my mom being a good mother okay she actually was like panicking when I didn't get my pro and being like even when I was at West Ham she's just always like education education she tried to get me to do like a levels outside of with mm-hmm. a tutor outside like privately like homeschooling a levels when okay that didn't work out great but <laughs> so she was like what about this opportunity to continue getting a degree for free mm-hmm. and you still get to play football at a good level mm-hmm. and I was like not for it in the beginning but then spending that year in the non-league you know, you kind of it started sounding like a slightly better idea, especially if I was to uh, to go to a really top school. Like those experiences are pretty incredible. And, and like I mentioned earlier, it, I wasn't like this, you know, I, I wasn't an English footballer who just lived and breathed football. I was a very like multicultural, open-minded, mm-hmm. quite worldly guy from a young age uh, into many, many other things. And so an experience in American university just sounded really cool to me sounded really really cool so I was like you know what if I don't like it I'll come back I'll be like 21 22 and like I'll just be doing what I'm doing now anyway mm-hmm. so what can I really lose apart from you know a couple years in the non-league and uh and so I was like yeah let me go for it but the funny story with that was we actually I was actually lucky enough to get a full uh full it's called a full ride so four mm-hmm. years covered 
um, from Syracuse, which is oh, a wow. top okay. D1 nice. school. Very, very, very prestigious D1 school. Cost something like 55K a year to go to. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, I was like, yeah, like, like this is perfect for me. But the only issue with that long story short was you have to get it cleared by the NCAA as an athlete eligible, right? Yeah. And, uh, and people had hinted my, I went for an agency to contact the schools. And the agency hinted that I have to be careful about the expenses I was getting from West Ham. And uh, my, the coach from Syracuse was also hinted, but they all just hinted. And I'm like, and I'm, you know, I'm just a young kid. So when it came around to it, I, I basically didn't, essentially, I didn't lie about my, okay. my expenses because they weren't a lot. In my mind, I was like, I'm getting 500 pound a month, you know. From right, 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 right. And I'm like, that's not a pro wage. Like, I'm not mm. a pro. I was, I was still in school at the time. You know, they were doing two, two days a week VTech yeah, at West Ham. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, all right, this should be fine. But they, they flagged for them. They did, a, they did a thorough investigation for months, making me prove all my bank statements, showing all my two years of West Ham bank statements, trying to make cover everything as expenses. And like... I was panicking. I had to at that point. I had to do it. There's no way out of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. They they needed to find out all the info. They were calling up West Ham to like inquire and everything, and and like it was. It took a few months, and eventually they said I got paid two thousand dollars too much over the two years, and that I was considered a professional, like by two grand that was unaccounted for. It wasn't really true expenses. So, and then they said I couldn't go to Syracuse. So that was devastating. That was, oh. I was looking, I was, I was really up for that, looking at all the courses they had. And, and like that really messed me up again. So there was just knockbacks after knockbacks. And then, uh, and then the same agency, he had a connection with this guy at Young Iris. And so he was like, look, like they're D2, they have different rules. So you're probably going to get cleared there. Okay. Um, do that for a year. Maybe you can go to a D1 school after. And so I was like, look, I've already committed, but this was a whole different kettle of fish. This was like right. a tiny little school in the okay, middle of Georgia, right. in, in the rural Georgia mountains. Um, like a whole different experience. Like no one would have heard of Young Harris, whereas Syracuse, like everyone in America knows Syracuse. I know the college football team, yeah. right? I know the Syracuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so basically I went from probably going from one of the best schools in America to like, to just some random little school in, in, the, in, the, in the woods of, of Georgia. But that, like, you know, things might happen for a reason or whatever you might want to say, because when I got there, they have they had a Scottish coach and a and a and a London assistant coach from Memphis. Oh, wow, okay. So already I felt comfortable with the football side. And the team was pretty much all international. They recruited very well. They recruited a, a, a Irish an Irish boy. We had a couple English guys from one was from like a few of them were academies but released like at sixteen. Okay. Uh, we had a striker from Red Star Belgrade's academy. Oh, wow. okay. So like we had like good European like academy boys, um, and we tore it up. We actually had a really, really, really good uh, three three years. So well, I saw that you won Freshman of the Year while you were there, right? So you made a really big impact when you arrived. But I'm just imagining this group of foreigners wandering around the middle of Georgia. Like you yeah. must have stuck out quite a bit, eh? And the school only had. 1100 students oh wow okay 1100 students right. which for a college like some colleges have like thirty thousand students yeah, yeah, yeah and everyone's on campus and everyone's like these sort of like kind of it was a it was a liberal arts school so everyone's kind of these like nerdy like theater or outdoor type like yeah, yeah. hikers or, or or like gardeners or, or theater studies or artists 
uh, Americans from from high schools like around locally, okay. and then the soccer team was like just this twenty international. <laughs> That's so incredible. Naturally, naturally, we were a bit of uh, an attraction, and and we had a nice pool in on the on the campus, but but like it was such a small like humble school that it, there wasn't it wasn't there wasn't any crazy partying. It wasn't like we were the big dogs like yeah yeah yeah. Um, it was really a peaceful, simple time because I found the Appalachian Mountains were quite beautiful. Actually. Wow. Yeah, it's beautiful spend around there, time, right? Yeah, I spend a lot yeah, of time yeah. on the lakes and, and finding waterfalls in the outdoors. Wow. Um, and so, so like, for me, it was actually the most transformative time to just take a rest, forget that football has to be who I am, mm-hmm. and just relax about things and even let go of, of the idea of who I want to be. So I did, mm-hmm. the first two years of my college, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to be. And that's fine because, yeah, yeah. you know, I have my health. I get to enjoy football here. We're playing on good grass. We have good talent. Everything's covered like housing and food. Um, school was, American school was easy as hell. Okay, like, nice. Yeah, easy. well, that doesn't surprise me for some reason. It was, it was, it was super easy or really easy to cheat. So one or the okay. other, like, either way, you were good to go. <laughs> and uh, And so, like, I had no worries. And so I spent two years, like, forgetting about everything mm. and uh really just falling in love with with things again including football wow. that's incredible i want to very quickly talk about the ncaa because it's a topic yeah. that's kind of fascinating me a little bit because i like american sports i like watching american football i like watching baseball and i like watching college sports and i know that they're like it's it, to me it seems like a criminal organization that like what they're getting away <laughs> with <laughs> because they are making billions of dollars off the back of athletes, but the athletes aren't allowed to receive a pair of trainers in return, right? Like yeah. it is crazy the rules there. Like, and obviously you having to jump through the hoops. Did you then? Did you know much before you got involved with them? Like, was it a real I, I, nightmare? I had no no clue. Like, yeah, because to me, obviously, I felt like obviously I'm clearly not a professional because I didn't yeah, get a yeah. pro contract, and so by my definition, I was clean. But they are, yeah, they have their own policy, their own, like, code of conduct. And, like, it was very, very frustrating because it was so unaligned with what I understood and knew. And they operate, like, cold-heartedly. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They operate very cold-heartedly. And I agree with you. Unfortunately, like most massive corporations in America, they are pretty rotten to their core. Mm-hmm. And uh, the corruption, I mean, even things like when you hear co- like re- like last five years or so, coach, big coaches, every now and then when a coach like, you know, does something wrong, they bring out all these old like uh, allegations of mm-hmm. money that they've been like paying to players and things like that. But they probably have those sort of stuff on everyone. Yeah, and just yeah. like when it's convenient, they can just, you know, hang one out. To Wheel it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know I mean, but like, I think they're all doing it. It's, it's extremely <laughs> corrupt, like yeah. most multi-leveled and high high financial type industries with loads of money but thankfully recently they've actually changed the law last i think this year was the first year or last year mm-hmm. they actually changed the law now so athletes are allowed to make money off their own back independent oh, wow. okay so i don't know if the college can pay them mm-hmm. they can go out and get independent sponsorships and okay. sign their own deals mm-hmm. by themselves now and they're actually allowed finally but that's the smallest nudge. <laughs> the tiniest the thing. Yeah, they, they're yeah. a non-profit. They're a non-profit organization, <laughs> but they're obviously a multi-billion dollar organization. That's incredible. It's just, you're the first person I've talked to who's actually been through and worked, like had to deal with the NCAA. And it always 
blows my mind whenever I hear anything about them. Um, but you do get the opportunity, and you sign with Ocala Stampede um, in Florida. <laughs> yeah. um, so how was how was the level when you arrived? Was it kind of were you, was it lower? Was it what you expected? Like compare it to non-league in the UK? Oh yeah, it's not. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not quite like conference or, or conference north or south. It wouldn't be like that at all. It's more a case of talented college boys who do want to play football when they're done with college and so are able to get themselves out in the shop window again. Mm-hmm. So it's, every team has their own setup and organization. Some are better than others. A lot of kids don't spend, spend the whole summer with them so they can have some holidays. But the idea is basically to keep playing, to, to, to showcase a little bit more of your skills. So it was quite semi-professional. There's good talent there. Most of the teams that succeed in like the, the type playoff type structure after the little mini conference you play are usually just the ones that are able to hold on to their players the longest, more, more than mm-hmm. anything. So it's more a case of, uh, of, of getting to basically showcase a bit of your talent. But it's, yeah, you, you, depending on your setup, it can be quite professional, but it's very, it's very like random. And mm. uh, it's more just, uh, yeah, I wouldn't call it anything special. The good thing with Ocala is we did well two years in a row because we had a few good players and also players who knew each other. So we actually already were on the same page and, and we got to the semifinal, uh, semifinal of the whole thing. So the national type competition twice in a row. Wow. And then at that, when you reach there, you're, you're playing against like MLS 23s. Mm-hmm. And so those are times where you're like, okay, like this is good exposure, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was really a, more a case of trying to get to a place where other coaches can hear about you or see you um, more. So if you have a good mm-hmm. college career, you have a good PDL, you keep buzzing, you know, you keep pushing that button of like, yeah, I'm here, I'm here, I'm good. I'm proving I'm good all the time, basically. Mm-hmm. Nice. And you do get your move to um, Louisville City, right? Yeah. Louisville City, yeah. um, where you go on to make nearly 100 appearances. Um, yeah. It feels like, and you also won the USL Cup while you were there. Like, yeah. that's a really successful first, like, would you say that's the first real club in America that you played for where you feel like, okay, this is, this yeah, is soccer? Definitely outside of outside of the wage I was getting paid, it was definitely my professional team. Okay. Uh, and I was it was funny. I got there eventually after about six or seven MLS trials and and USL trials already, and it was the last one. And uh, and after I was like, if this one don't work, I'll just go back home and and go okay. back to conference and see what happens. But a couple of my old school mates, college teammates, played for that team, so they kind of gave me the hookup to join preseason, and. When I arrived and, and luckily got through the preseason and signed, like it was very quick to me that I realized I was with like a very, very intense, high achieving environment. So like okay. the coach, like the, the success of Louisville was like largely to do with the coach, James O'Connor. And again, like I said, it was a professional, it's a professional team, a professional league. I wasn't getting paid a lot, but I knew when I was part of this group that at least they were very, very serious about what we're doing. And that would help me grow a lot. So it definitely was my first proper environment as, a, as an adult. And uh, due to many of the things that James O'Connor was able to put in place there and set a culture about, uh, we had a lot of consistent success, which was, nice. which was amazing. So like, you know, I got six or seven like maybes and no's to teams. But then right at the end, I joined a team that like was 
had the best opportunity for success more than all of the others. Yeah. So I got very lucky, you know, again, like things happen for a reason. But um, I was very lucky to join this team because from the first year, they, they'd always there or thereabouts in terms mm -hmm. of winning. Nice. And you talked about the culture that he set. Like, was it what, was it kind of, what type of football were you, were you trying to play? Was it like you were trying to play football and it was, we've talked about holistic. Like, was it that kind of approach to the club? No, it was actually quite old school. He's an Irish. Okay. <laughs> for, represented Ireland in, in national team. He's played for mm -hmm. Stoke, West Brom. So he's played in the okay. Premier, but he's older. And he's old Irish, old school. So it was actually an old school approach, but something I was used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially for coming from England. And it was it was like the hardest preseason you could ever imagine. Like, honestly, every day waking up thinking, this is the last day I'm going to make it. Like, something's going to break down type preseason. Um, but then also consistently forcing everyone to put the team first besides their ego. Signing... But, and also, he was very, very meticulous in bringing the right characters in. Characters who did put the team first in, mm -hmm. in And then just reinforced the, the how interconnected everyone is. So whether you've got individual goals or not, the only way to get your individual goals is to help the team achieve the team goal and put the team first. And then he absolutely ground us down with fitness so that we were like the toughest guys psychologically and physically. Mm -hmm. And so we weren't necessarily the best footballing team at all. And we had a good style, and most of the time, our success was three at the back, three, three, four, three, or three, five, two. But we weren't the best footballing team. We we were just the hardest guys to come against and beat, and the most connected and together. We had a really, really tight knit family. Like a lot of those teammates, I can genuinely call brothers. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, because of the hardship that James put us through, even our own coach put us through, you know, deliberately, mm -hmm. to then create these these bonds and connections, and so. The culture was all over. And also the ownership was very invested and around and like putting their hand, like we would see the owner quite regularly. And uh, and so it was a very tight-knit community that was able to put the team first and then also was set up to be very, very horrible to play against. Okay. And that most of the time when it's like the 80th minute, you know, and the other team starts flagging or breaking down, or it's been a long season, so and some of the other teams like aren't in a great position in the playoffs. So like the individuals are starting to be more individual. We always had team players, and so nice. that always helped us prevail. And, uh, and through that, we we gained a reputation, and they have an incredible um, track record of success. Well, it does sound like playing against Stoke City. I'll be honest; it sounds yeah. like playing against Stoke City. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I that's mean, good. We some nice goals too every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but other than that, like you just wouldn't get. You know, we we were a brick wall. Nice. I like that. I like that. And as you said, you managed to retain not only win, but you managed to retain the cup. Yeah. Um, so you said like it, it was a hard to beat team. Do do you think that lends itself to cup football that like you just know in one-off competitions? Oh like, no, we are it, gonna get past this side. Definitely. So when it comes to the playoffs, you know, you, you obviously want to win the, the conference and, mm -hmm. and we didn't always do that. But as an Englishman, you know, you want to win the league yeah, because that's what I care about the most. Like the cup is the cup, like anything mm -hmm. can happen. But absolutely, like we weren't always number one in the, in the conference. But as soon as it was time to be like win or go home, like there was a switch that was flipped for us. Absolutely. And, and, and like I said, even if, you know, no matter what came, like bad referee decisions or bad luck in the game, like our collective mental toughness definitely held the pressure of a win or go home situation a lot mm -hmm. like better. And that's what definitely what helped us prevail in the playoffs. 
Nice. And again, you found yourself in the USL All League first team, um, second in Defender of the Year. Like, did you feel like your football was going really well at this point? You're like, I found a home, right? Yeah. Like, in my mind, I was like, do really. A lot of the MLS teams, first of all, would tell me, you look good. You look like you're good enough for us, but we need to see you play a little bit. So after three years of being in Louisville, we, we finish my first year. I'm in the All League second team and we finish in the conference, in the Eastern Conference final. My second year, we win the whole thing and I'm in the first team and I'm up for Defender of the Year. My third year, we win the whole thing. I'm on the first team and I'm up for Defender of the Year. I'm like, what more do you need? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I kept knocking on the door of the MLS through my agents, through whatever mm-hmm. I could. And for one reason or another, without being too sour about it, I yeah. think, I think, uh, like the, the main, basically they were like, look, you need a green card. You're not, you're going to take up an international spot and we don't want to use an international spot on you. It's very difficult for someone like you to get a spot. That's basically what I was hearing mm-hmm. every year. And I, and I get it from a business sense because the MLS is a very carefully, like orchestrated brand that has been growing fantastically mm-hmm. every year because they've been following their model. Yeah, and yeah. so the worth of it, the value of the MLS, like it's been growing really well. And it's because things like for the international spot, they need players that will enhance the profile of the club, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, one signing can, can generate a ridiculous amount of revenue for a club, for what people watching the league again, for like buy-in for sales of every kind. Yeah. And so what I was getting from it all was I'm basically not a valuable enough international okay. for you to sign me with, but it wouldn't happen. And so after my third year, I was like, I was very frustrated to tell you the truth mm-hmm. because I'm breaking my body down to like really go through all these boundaries and prove myself. And it wasn't quite manifesting. So even after my third year, I kind of had enough of the USL. Mm-hmm. One in terms of I'd won it twice in a row and was proven I was too good for it in, in a yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. But two also because if I keep sticking around, I'm gonna the, the heat's gonna start dying off, you know. And, yeah, and you've yeah. got to strike while the iron's hot. So I was also trying to do my best to go back to Europe as well. So like mm-hmm. I was trying, to, I was open to go anywhere outside of the USL. Well, this is you found yourself at Wickham Wanderers, right? And you were on you're on trial at Wickham, but then I think COVID got in the way, right? It was just really bad timing. Yeah, again, like I. I don't want to keep dragging on about stories, but first of all, I actually had an opportunity at QPR. Okay. And uh, and so after December season, uh, the, November the season ends, 2019, I had an opportunity to go straight in maybe December time or November time uh, with QPR. So I was like, this is great. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, finish the season. We didn't, we got to the conference, we got to the championship game again in 2019, but didn't win. Um, and I was like, all right, let's say I'm done. Like I'm done with the USL. Like I'm need more yeah, times. Yeah. I try and do this. So I was, and also QPR, like championship, you know, like that's, that's an opportunity I would drop a lot of things mm-hmm. for. So I went there, I, I got in kind of on a favor. So it wasn't okay. like looking for a center back. I got in more on, on a favor because, um, I was able to get in touch with Mike Warburton's agent. So, so Mark brought me in and, uh, it was more like, yeah, he'll be with us for a week. You know, we'll see, like, he's just joining us for a while. We'll see how he does, like, you know, and whatever. But after that five days, I'd made such an impression that, that Warburton was like, hang on a minute, like, let's keep him around for a bit. Mm-hmm. And so that week turned actually into five weeks uh, and two or three under-23s matches to try and prove myself. And, uh, and like, they weren't looking for a centre-back, but 
to my knowledge, Warburton was trying to loan out the young centre-back they had so that he could play because he wasn't playing at all. And sort of keep me as a true, like, emergency centre-back on the bench, on the cheap. Because I was free okay. agent. And I was definitely not going to ask for the wage that QPR players are going to ask for. Okay. You know, like, even even two grand a week would have been the best wage I've ever had. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, in the championship, for example. So, so he was trying to do something for me. And eventually, I think he said the board were like, there's no, like, we don't see the value in it. We're looking at t- other targets, like young top pros that are young that we can loan in. Um, and for whatever reason, it didn't m- m- didn't uh, happen. But I, what I had was five fantastic weeks in, at QPR, and that was that was probably the happiest experience I've ever had because oh, wow, okay. I was holding my own with the locker room. I gained the respect mm-hmm. of the players, um, like the likes of Eze Eberichi was still there. I, he is one of my favorite players, yeah. by the way. Yeah, and like and like I was, you know, I was going head to head with him in training, and like off, like one a couple of times I get the better of him, and like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know we had a nice bit of banter, like and there was a good vibe. Like a lot of the players. I gained all the respect. I proved to myself that I could play that level essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was whatever happened there. I'll never, I'll never forget that those mm-hmm. those five weeks because that was like the best experience of validating mm-hmm. what I'm actually good at, you know, and if I, how mm-hmm. good I am. And then he was the one who actually helped me go to Wickham. He was oh, okay. Yeah, of course, of course, he came from Wickham, right? So um, he go there. So I was like, so he definitely saw something in me and helped me out. So fair, yeah, like yeah. fair play to him. He then, is. Can we just very quickly, because he's a player I genuinely am a little bit obsessed with, watching him, he is just, he's one of my favourite players to watch, because he seems to be moving so slowly, Yeah. But also no one can get the ball off him, it's incredible. The funniest thing about him, you're like, is he quick? Yeah, yeah. He's so elegant and smooth, yeah. he glides past people, like, mm-hmm. he has such a, such a gliding motion about him, and he's just technically brilliant as well. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and not only that, he's one of the nicest human beings. He's a good guy. He's been he's it. been set back way more times than me in his mm-hmm. in his youth career, and he's kept at it. And he's kept a really positive, like good attitude. So he like on and off the pitch, he's a top guy. And and I'm all I ever want to see is him. Every time he's on the score sheet now for Palace, I'm buzzing. Like anytime yeah, he's yeah. contributing. But um, but no, yeah, I absolutely love him. I love him. Yeah, yeah technically, yeah, yeah. technically brilliant. The my favorite thing though about these sort of players as well is like. He does make he does give the ball away sometimes. He does make mistakes sometimes, you know. Yeah, yeah. But like yeah. you can see in his head, it doesn't affect him. Next yeah. time he goes again, he's brand new and he tries again. Everything is is like such an open. Let's see what can happen type mm-hmm. moment for him, regardless of how he's performing. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, no I but, absolutely. I I think I really hope. I really hope he ends up at Arsenal. Like regular listeners of the podcast will know, I am very pro Arsenal getting him off City uh, <laughs> off Palace. You're wearing, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still, well, we're playing now, eh? I need it just in case. Yeah, um, put it on the TV too, but I'm a, I'm a, I have to admit, I'm a North Londoner, but I'm a Chelsea man. Oh, okay. Well, I, I was afraid you were going to say Spurs. No, at no, least no. it's not Spurs. At no. least it's not Spurs. No, That's fine. I'm in West London, so you don't really <laughs> I like it. Well, after you, but after Wickham Wanderers, you do find yourself back in Miami. So you're now in the same city um, as, of course, Lionel Messi, who arrived in the. Um, well, in the Max MLS, I was here first, you know. Yeah, well, because yeah, he's in the same city as you. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. Um, but my, playing for Miami FC um, in the USL Championship this time, right? So it's the it's the level higher, um, yeah. and it's something that we've kind of on the podcast we've tried to cover a little bit. But could you tell our listeners about how it works and, and the fact that like I've I've seen articles where they've kind of tried to push 
promotion relegation in America? Like, do you think this is something that's feasible? Because I know to the American mind, it just kind of blows their mind a little bit. Yeah, so that's actually, it's actually very, very feasible, which is really exciting. Mm -hmm. I'd say the USL championship was the same USL I was playing in before. It just got mm -hmm. rebranded and then they added the leagues below it. Okay. So, so 100% the MLS is never going to do promotion relegation. The MLS yeah. is like the NBA. Yeah, its yeah, yeah. aspiration is to be NFL, NBA, MLB. Yeah. And it's just a locked in ownership run like money machine that just keeps generating more money and fair play to them. They're doing well, but the USL, which was chair, mostly chairman by an English guy. I can't remember his name, but he, he brought a very English touch and feel to the USL. Okay. They actually have aspirations to once league one and even league two are more established. He, within the USL, he's, they're going to vote and the owners are going to vote that within the USL, there will be promotion relegation. Wow. So the vote is actually happening this year to start rolling it out, to start nice. a variation of it where I think League One teams can get promoted to the championship. And that's how they'll start it. But then once the leagues are kind of set, you know, like like 20, like 30 teams each league, then once they're locked in, I think they are going to implement promotion relegation within wow. the USL. And that's actually really exciting. And, and for someone who spent seven years in the USL, or at least give or take, apart from the year off I took, um, it is like, I've actually genuinely seen progression and growth in the league massively. Like things like stadiums are getting built every year. There's two or three announcements for new stadiums wow. to be built in this league. There is a bit more money trickling down, you know, slowly, slowly. There's more investment into it. There's more outside professionals buying into it over the years. So like the growth of the USL has been right before my eyes as a, mm -hmm. as a professional. And that's what excites me the most as well. When I hear this ambition from them, it, it just sort of confirms that they are very ambitious to try and be on the world stage in terms of recognized in international football, um, as opposed to just following an American model that will make money for the owners, you know, like, so, so yeah, like there might, there could well be promotion relegation in America and it'll be in the USL first. That is really exciting. And I think it's something that like, especially with, you know, this whole welcome to Wrexham thing and like, yeah the Americans kind of seeing this story bottom to the top kind of thing yeah. in theory, right? I think it could be something that could really capture the imagination beyond the MLS and be like, because it does add more drama to the end of a season, like rather than in the NFL, like I, I follow the Chicago Bears. They're terrible. They've had a terrible start. Now the season doesn't matter, right? Like, and in the MLS, it's the same. Do you think it will cause more interest and people will they won't just follow the top teams. They will get kind of encaptured by the by the lower teams as well. I think not only more interest, but it's going to have like a longer span of interest. I think mm -hmm. because as you say, like, I mean, I'm in Miami here. They have three major sports here, the NBA, NFL and, and MLB. And all it is, is just like you said, if, if they're not performing well that year, oh, no one goes, you yeah, know, and yeah. the stadium's empty. And it's like, we'll just wait and see if next year. And then they basically wait till the team's hot again. And then yeah. there is a massive amount of support. Yeah, yeah, But the yeah. fans are there. So, like, I think what it will do is can keep it consistent to where, like, you have to go every game because every single win, every point matters because you don't want to get relegated. Yeah, either, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, and I think the, the, one of the best things that USL has done, if you notice, is the majority of their teams are outside of the major, major cities. Mm-hmm. A majority of their teams are in like the middle cities, the slightly smaller towns. And what that does, especially in Louisville, Louisville didn't have a professional club yeah. in Louisville 
they had a good college system. They had a really good college school, but they didn't have no professional team. And so being the only professional team in the, in the town, you already had a very cult community following. Mm-hmm. So not only do you have, like, they've been very careful in making sure that these, te- these towns that they open up new teams in are more, like, community-based mm-hmm. and not necessarily saturated already, like yeah, yeah. Miami, unfortunately, is. Mm-hmm. Then, first of all, you have the community bought in already. You have a massive fan base. And then if you add in promotion relegation, they're going to be gagging every week, yeah, surely. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so I do agree it will create more buy-in, but more, like, consistent buy-in because, obviously... Mm-hmm. All a team needs to do is win here, and then everyone's bought in all of a yeah. sudden, you know. Yeah, it will just keep that maintain that level, basically. Mm. Yeah, nice. And so, within Miami, obviously, the city's going through a real football moment um, yeah. with with Messi arriving, of course. But how is the project at um, Miami FC going? Is there a connection with the MLS club? Is there like a partnership there? Is there, or is it just two very separate things? Like, yeah, I think so. First of all, our, our owner started this club like before Inter was even a, a thing, okay? So, we were the first pro- soccer team here, professional. Mm-hmm. And I think because of our owner's like vision and mentality, he's always sort of he's resented, first of all, the American model. So, okay. he could have bought he made his team, and then the MLS offered him to buy into the MLS, and he actually like. Kind of rightfully so. He's a proud Italian man, which I respect, you know, as Good we work. do. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he kind of said, no, like, that's not right. We should get promoted into it. Like, I have my club. And if I'm not in your league, like, I'm going to just stay in mine and do my own thing. Wow. And so that sort of permeated the, uh, the attitude of the club throughout with, in, in response to collaborating with Inter. There's, there's yeah. no collaboration at all. Um, we really are focused on doing our own thing. Nice. We, we play them in the cup, which is nice, the Open Cup. Which Good. Which two years in a row. And, like, that's just an excellent vibe. It does have the vibe of, like, we're, like, a small team playing a yeah. Premier League team. But that's great experience for us as well. And also but great. it's also a derby, right? It's yeah. also a derby. Exactly. Yeah. And there we'll get, we'll easily get, like, 15,000, 20,000 fans to that game. Nice. Um, whereas we don't really get as many fans anymore because of... Mm. There's just way too much to do in Miami, man. It's, well, it's, yeah, I can I can imagine it's, it's, it's not a quiet place, right? Yeah. It's not a quiet yeah, place. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, people would rather be on in a penthouse or at a yacht on a yacht party or like in a club or mm-hmm. the amount the amount of, of of celebrities that come here and perform and the events that are going on every single day here is insane. Wow. It blew me away. So so yeah, no, basically um, we've kept ourselves quite separate, mm-hmm. independent, and. Uh, and operate as such yeah. like that. We worry about ourselves. Nice. But you're enjoying the project in Miami. You're enjoying your football. It's a good place to be. Yeah. I don't want to, um, I don't want to speak too much on it because okay. I'm in the process of, uh, of, of potentially like maybe staying, maybe going at the moment. Okay. Okay. Um, but I will say that I've had the greatest life experience here. Mm-hmm. Um, I've really, really enjoyed my time in Miami. I wish I, I like, if I could stay here, I would. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the the vision of the club and the way it is being handled, unfortunately, isn't fully my type of the way I've been wired. I've, okay. Unfortunately, I've been wired to to try and succeed at all costs, mm-hmm. um, no matter the cost as well. And because of the early years when Miami FC were playing in different leagues and bringing in like old, they, they had Nesta as the coach for a while, and they had like yeah, 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 older pros and and. They were throwing loads of money around back like in the earlier years. 
Um, I think they've had to scale down and manage that financially to make sense, you know, to yeah. make it viable as an asset on, on the owner's portfolio. So unfortunately, our visions aren't fully aligned, the clubs and mine. Um, it's still a, a wonderful club to be in and a lovely place to live. Mm -hmm. And so I um, potentially might not be here next year, but okay. only because they have a specific vision and it doesn't particularly align with perhaps what my goals are. That's fair. It happens, and it happens in football more than most other places. I think it happens fairly, fairly regularly. Well, um, Paco, I want to say thank you for your time. It's been a fascinating chat. Before we go, we have some questions that we always ask our guests. Um, just some quick fire questions. So, um, first one: the best player you've played with in a game or in training? Um, you choose. However, you want to interpret it. Best player I played with. Okay, well, talent-wise, like dribbling ability-wise, I'll probably say uh, in here in Miami FC, a Cuban man called Ariel Martinez. Okay, nice. He was here at the team two years ago, and he, he's a Cuban international, and they call him the Cuban Messi. Oh, wow, and, nice. I like that. They don't use it too lightly. He is a ridiculously tricky attacking midfielder um, who you can't get the ball off whenever nice. he's good, basically. Yeah. Nice. I like that. Um, the best player you've played against? Best player I've played against? I mean, does a 40-year-old Didier Drogba count? Oh, that definitely counts. It has to, surely. <laughs> different guy at 40, but he was still Didier Drogba. So. I, there's, there's a story I've told on the podcast before. I used to work at a hotel and yeah. Chelsea stayed. And I bumped into Drogba as I turned around and I fell over and he barely <laughs> even noticed me. Like the guy is a man mountain. It's insane. Yeah, he's just built differently as well. <laughs> yeah. Like there was one time he was, he was in midfield and I saw him hold off three of my players, protecting them <laughs> comfortably three, moved the three of them around and then just took the ball away. Insane. So, yeah. Yeah, what a player. Yeah. What a player. I mean, as a Chelsea guy too, like that is a, is a lifetime. That must have been a highlight, right? Yeah, I was just staring at him the whole game. Every time the ball went out, I was just looking at him. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Love that. Um, the favourite goal you've scored? Favourite goal I've scored? Um, thankfully, there's been a few, but I would say maybe 2016, my first year in the USL for Louisville mm -hmm. City, the Eastern Conference Final against New York Rebels, nice. uh, team. Um, I scored the opening goal, which was a really difficult... It was a free kick into the box, and I flicked it backwards. Nice. Like without not hoping, hoping it was going over the goal. I loved the goalie and went in as the opening goal for that game. I would say as a goal, it was quite impressive, but then also on the stage for the stage of it too. Nice. Like I would say that's my favorite goal. Love that. Um, the best manager you've worked under, or the manager that's had the biggest influence. That's I don't like the word best. Yeah, I would say yeah, biggest influence is James O'Connor. I mm -hmm. have the professional. He's pretty much like the main one I've spent time with anyway. But because of his approach and his his attitude and his philosophy, he helped make me again another person. You know, like so the guy I am today is largely to do with with James O'Connor. Very nice. The best atmosphere you've played in. Best atmosphere. Uh, I've been lucky enough in America. There's been some big stadiums for. I would say maybe uh, Cincinnati when they used to be in the USL. Nice. Uh, they would have like 24,000 full in their stadium and it was a wraparound like type mm -hmm. situation. So the first one that comes to mind is that one, Cincinnati at Nippert Stadium. Not the one they play in now, but 
they had a, a previous one. Very nice. I think that covers best stadium played in as well. So the last one, the favorite, your favorite match you've played in, a game you look back and go, I, I wish I could play that game again or I could watch it or... It would be, it would definitely be the 2018 final again against Phoenix, which had Didier Drogba. Nice. Because not only that, but there was, there were those really beautiful moments in a game that don't happen all the time, but when you, you feel like you're in the perfect place for, for, to do your job, like without even thinking like you, like there was a two or three moments where you could read the future in a sense Mm -hmm. and you, you anticipate something and then you make a really important play. You know, so, nice. so, um, yeah, like, you know, you're in the zone, essentially, I guess you could call it performance wise as well. But yeah, 20, 2018 championship final against Phoenix. Beautiful. Well, Paco, thank you very much. That's been absolutely fascinating. I've loved it. Um, when our listeners want to follow you, find what you're up to, where can they find you on social media if you want them to, I suppose? Yeah, sure. No, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I have a Twitter, but I actually don't use it. I'm terrible at it. So Instagram is, is my main go-to and it's my full name. At, mm-hmm. at, it basically, it's just my full name. So Paco Gigi Craig. Beautiful. Well, best of luck in whatever you do next. Um, I'm sure we'll be in touch and hopefully we'll have you on again in the future. Thank you, thank you very thank much, you mate. Thank you man. I appreciate it all. And, and yeah, hopefully I'd love to be back. So thank you Beautiful. So thank you very much. We'll see you again. Podcast Network.